Welcome to the Three to Ten Project. Two white, cisgendered males who've been friends for over 25 years, exploring race, gender, and education by talking through the intersection of our experiences with what we're reading, listening to, and thinking about. And most importantly, considering how to show up moving forward. It's a long-term commitment, three to 10 years of anti-racist culture building. I'm Mark. I'm Reed. Just a quick note on the name for this podcast. Three to 10 Project has been borrowed from Resma Menicum. You can learn more about this idea and about Resma at the link shared in the podcast description. Let's get to it. Yep, and that's Mark's footsteps. Turns out he is a bit more coherent when he is running. Okay, hello, Mark. Hey, Reed. How are you? How? how what's the run today? Yeah, the run today is called the Easy Seven. I'm doing my Allen back in a neighborhood actually that is part of the Pan Mass Challenge bike ride route, very New England rural kind of, and um, little rolling hills. So uh, in the scheme of things, a, a not a huge run and, and kind of, you know, fall has come. So it's uh, cooler and crisper, um, which is nice. So yeah, that's my run. And how far do you still have to go? Um, about four miles, okay. almost exactly. Awesome. Yeah, so there's a lot that's been on my mind, uh, the la- you know, today, the last days, patriarchy, white supremacy, and then school stuff as well. Um, and so maybe I'll tell you just a quick story on the patriarchy piece first, which also has kind of a uh, white supremacist angle, but it's more about patriarchy. And um, I just finished the series Men uh, from Seen on Radio. Oh, did you? Uh, last week, yeah. I've been thinking about that a lot. And, um, and then I think I would love to talk about this article we both recently saw mm-hmm. about uncommon schools. So, do you mind if I throw a p- patriarchy thing to you? Yeah, especially if it's a story. There's yeah. no better way to start a conversation than with a story. <laughs> yeah, well, so um, I was working with one of the mindfulness directors, who's a woman, um, at a school where the principal is a man. Um, and uh, she has been trying to get the attention of the principal in terms of an opportunity to talk with him and really a bit stressed about, you know, how best to go about that. And really almost like being concerned about like not bothering him or um, I don't want to speak too much for her other than to say she was pretty clear that the idea of going to him with a specific request 
was making her uneasy. And what I have, you know, increasingly become aware of um, in life and uh, especially just reflections lately is how my reaction to these situations is so informed by my identity as kind of privileged white male that I, you know, I'm, my default is, of course, I expect people to do what I ask. Um, I can be nice about it, but I don't hesitate to ask or even tell people. And I expect to be listened to. And more and more recognizing how that is a identity privilege and not a common experience. And trying to really be thoughtful about how to support people who don't share the identity, but you know, are trying to get things done. So yeah, I have a addendum to that story, but thoughts about that. So how much do you think your, um, you know, your mindset when you approach those things, right? That confidence, that expectation you have, how much of that do you think is specifically related to you being male? A lot. But I would even throw in that that's almost a cultural um, piece for me of being a New York descended white male Jew who, you know, is indoctrinated into the ways of getting what you want, no matter what. Yeah. I often felt that in retrospect, especially, that is what I was being taught implicitly or explicitly most of my life. Yeah, I, I think that the way you brought that around gets to this concept of intersectionality and I've been thinking about it a yeah. lot, you know, I mean, so that those ideas were, were brought up really to help us better understand, I think, for example, like black lesbian women, right? Like the fact that you're not just one thing. And right. I, so I think the male, the, the gender matters. I think the race matters a lot. And then other things, you know, you're talking about sort of other cultural things that so has to do with, you know, just sort of, Jewishness, New York, whatever. Um, and, and I think that it's like all these little things that add up to a lot. And, um, and I see that, you know, so in some schools, like I think about your, your story, there are a lot of schools where maybe the color piece, the race thing is, is out of it for a lot of the interaction. Because all the faculty might be white. But I see the gender dynamics play out all the time in schools. First of all, it just plays out in terms of who, who ends up in those roles. You know, there are a lot of female right, right. principals and assistant principals. But still, when I, you know, I work with principals and groups of principals all the time, and still the percentage of male is way out of whack, um, especially given how the, how the teaching staff is so weighted female. Um, and those yeah, are, right. in, in this, the, and then a lot of those people are completely unaware of the dynamics they're bringing to their own staff. Um, they're, 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 yep. they're often um, just uh, oblivious to the fact that they are perceived a certain way or that the people working with them are really hesitant maybe to bring forward ideas because of these implicit power dynamics. So. 
Yeah, it's fascinating. Well, um, yeah, so just, I feel like just naming, just going through the process of talking about it, naming it is a good growth opportunity for me. And um, just to consistently remind ourselves about it is important. I'm just going to tell you one quick story, which goes back to last year, just to prove the point. And since you know my wife, Donna, and my son, Caleb, so well, this will be especially uh, meaningful. So Caleb had some sort of problem on his schedule as a sophomore last year that needed to get revised. And it had something to do with switching classes to better match, you know, him. And it required a study hall being moved or something like that. And so, of course, you know, in these big school systems, there's like people that have to go into the schedule and in the computer and figure it out and move things around. So it took Jonna actually going to the school to meet the guidance counselor, white man, to um, or reorganize the schedule. And as they're working on it, the guy's basically like, nope, can't, can't do this can't be done. Sorry. And just like, really? Because can't we just do this? Like it was a pretty straightforward thing about switching, swapping one thing for another. So, you know, he's like, no. So Jonna calls me on speaker in the middle of this meeting and basically says, Mark, can you explain to this guy what's up? In 10 seconds, this guy changed his tune entirely found that he had totally been wrong. And when he actually looked and quickly was able to resolve the situation, but wouldn't even take it seriously until I got on the phone. And Jonna knew that. And that's why she called me. Like, she insane. Had to, she had and, to call in the mansplainer. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you know Jonna. Yeah, that I mean, was this is not... <laughs> This is a person that knows more about schools than 99% of people, you know, like, and she's being told by this, this guy, no. So anyway, there you go. Yeah. And that happens in so many ways. I mean, we've seen it. It really happens with, you know, families that are coming in that are not, you know, native English speakers, families that are coming in that are black and brown, you know, like, I mean, that stuff plays out over and over again in schools. And I mean, the fact that it's happening there with Jonna as assertive as she is just really illustrates. I mean, that's okay. But you, yeah, bonkers. Because, you know, she had you to call. She had the, you know, just the sort of wherewithal to do that. And you were able to like throw your weight around. Like you guys got what you needed, right? You got it done. Right. And we literally have like a code at this point. Like at times, John will be like, you need to send this email or you need to make this call because she knows up front, I'm going to get more of uh, attention than she is. Yeah. And she knows it. <laughs> it's well, so the quick um, link to that, can I just make a one? Yeah, please. Cool. So an hour ago, I was on a one-on-one -on -one Zoom call with a female administrator well, sort of, a, let's just say, assistant principal at a school. 
and we were talking about some planning and work that her full, the full administrative team really, uh, you know, including the principal need to do. And she was sort of sending a request of what we, you know, she and I were talking about what, what I think they, they need to do. And she made the comment, uh, she was like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna send this email, I'm gonna CC you on it, Reed, because when your name's on it, things happen. Mm. And I there said, you go. Right in the moment, I was like, yeah, I'm throwing my, <laughs> my white male privilege in, and uh, around here. And she sort of laughed that off, but sort of to naming it. Like, I, I actually did want to kind of say that. And I, and I said back to her, you know, I think there is a little bit of that there. And I think about it, because um, I don't even work in the school, right? Like, I'm some outside guy that's been hired. Yeah, right. Um, now, I've worked, right. I've worked with this team for years and years, so I'm, I'm well known. But, um, but she totally wanted me CC'd on that email, because even though she works there, and she's part of that. Yep. She thought um, that the principal would stand up a little bit more to the idea with, uh, you know, just seeing that, that, that I was along for the ride. So. Yeah. Wow. All right. There we. Okay. So, so something for us both to be paying attention. <laughs> I think maybe an assignment for both of us in the next week is, you know, looking for those moments where gender really matters and to, to name it, mm -hmm. uh, to surface it and see, you know, like when I named it with this mindfulness director today, she just appreciated the naming of it. Mm -hmm. That like, I, yeah, that is kind of what's going on. And, um, and I think we, we can, I think that's a good step for us yeah. and something as white males in the world can do. Simple but powerful. On it. it gets so, to mindfulness, so, too, doesn't it? Like being aware, right? Um, being aware, yeah. Yep. Uh, okay. So, and being in a kind of a, a regular state of reflection, of, a, you know, like awareness and reflection you know, supporting each other, like, huh, what's happening here? What just happened? That type of thing. And yeah, cool. Um, so should we switch gears to uncommon schools? <laughs> we should. So, so just talk to me. So you actually sent me two things, right? John, it looks like you and John had had a back and forth where there was this letter to the uncommon schools community, um, you know, from from the, the I guess president of the the CMO, and then it was also the president and CEO, right? And there was sort of an article about it, but so um, you know, there's this this letter that this huge charter network, right, is saying that um, apparently, and uh, well, I won't put any commentary on it, but they're making some significant changes to. Uh, what they feel are significant changes to um, right. behavior. I'm glad you qualified that. Yeah, behavior <laughs> expectations um, of kids, you know, uh, dress code, um, uh, you know, professional the way, development, the way kids should be looking and talking at each other, the way kids are walking through the hallways, things like that. So, uh, so sounds great. Good for them. Uh, I don't see that there's really anything for us to talk about, Mark. <laughs> so, First, let's make sure our, our listeners have a little context. 
the president of this organization is someone we've known for what is it 26 years and uh, um that we started our careering our <laughs> our teaching careers alongside yep. all the same and year. um all at the same time in the same city no yep. not in the same city in the same city yes Julie. same city okay yeah. and um you know so we and the group uncommon schools is something that we both have been aware of for a long time and i don't know if you remember i actually was a consultant for uncommon schools oh, for about a year um during a time when fly the school in harlem we both yep. worked at was going through a transition um it required me to almost leave fly for a little while and i had to do a little bit of work outside the organization as we were shifting from a um official public school to become a charter school that's another long story we'll write a book about someday but anyway i worked for them and i know the founder um who is kind of like a mentor to me so anyway yeah. Yeah. we have context here so um so i think there's so much we could go into with the stories um about the past and and our feelings about the present and um but let's just focus on a simple thing here what exactly did that letter say so this is in response to the movement for black lives from march to now mm -hmm. schools feeling pressure organizations feeling pressure we better like get ahead of this a little bit and and listen a bit more and potentially make some changes so read that letter first it talks about we are going to be an anti-racist organization fine good what does that mean and they mentioned that a couple different times anti-racism but they never define it they never say exactly what that means for them which i think is interesting Mm -hmm. And a lot of the letter, and if you go back and look, is basically saying, we're going to listen more. We've listened, we've listened, we're going to listen, and we're going to listen some more. But the substance of the proposed changes, I think, is very narrow and like 20 years late. So I can speak more about that, but I, that's what kind of what i kind of brought away from that is like so you're really not saying too much here and the things you're changing really like kids don't have to wear ties and they could wear black sneakers instead of black shoes what yeah that, so, that was my favorite line by the way that they're not allowed to wear <laughs> black sneakers um, but. and then you know they have these protocols for talk for class behavior and hall behavior, which of course are acronyms, slant and uh, hall, halls. Yeah. I have no idea what that stands for, but tried, I don't want to know. Yeah, I tried to look it up. I couldn't find it because I was just curious. Because the other one I'd heard of, but I hadn't heard of halls. But it probably means walk quietly and in a straight line. 
right hands off each other yeah that type of thing too so you know and even the things that the, the, the middle school kids will be able allowed to talk more or something like doesn't even say really what like what does that mean they can like say hello to a friend as they walk by or like can they actually like hang out I, it just was really vague and um even what they said in the pd section professional development section was like oh we're going to read this book and we're going to like get better at anti-racism practices again what are you talking about what do you mean uh yeah as you can see i even by my voice i'm i'm escalated on this and i have another little story to tell you um which you may or may not be a part of we'll have to see that connects to all this but let me pause for a second and see what you're thinking. Well, on the one hand, so th this, this is in the context of, a, of changes that are happening, right? Because if we've also heard recently changes in KIPP, right? Another major. Right. And um, I, you know, just finished, you know, listening to the Nice White Parents where they specifically call out Success Academy. And Oh, yeah. So there we go. <laughs> right. So, yeah. but, but they're saying, oh, we're going to make some changes. So on the one hand, I, I do want to say, I will always take small late change over no change. Um, I mean, I think because these organizations are established and powerful and, yeah. they, and influential. And maybe the, 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 the challenge is they've been influential for years, right? The genie is out of the bottle. Decades, uh, decades, decades, right? So that it's really, and not for nothing, it's completely developed. It's created a way for people to think about charter schools, right? Because in a lot of ways, yep. that no excuses approach became synonymous with charter schools kind of in the national narrative. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, so all of that is problematic. I, I am, yeah. and the other thing is these things are always written by committee in political ways. So yeah. it's, it, you know, they're going to use, they're going to be as vague as they can to kind of protect themselves. So I think sometimes it's a little bit hard to read these things and really know what are people really thinking or where, where is their heart on stuff? Um, yeah, that, yeah. But sure. I, I do feel sometimes like the longer something is, maybe the less there's a real there's power behind it because boy, you have to take a long time to not say a lot. Um, yeah, that's what, that's what makes me worried. And I do agree that the 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 shifts. First of all, the yeah, some of the behavior shifts they're they're talking about. Um, you know, again, we knew a long time ago like these are just inappropriate, right? Um, for lots of reasons. But the the curriculum shifts, I agree, are seem pretty surface. Right, and they seem like oh, we're yeah. more books and this and that. Oh, by the way, we still we already do most of you know fifty percent of our books are are you know by authors of color and things like that. But the part that you mentioned there that I do want to just highlight is about the listening, because the other piece that we've been involved, in, trying to be involved, where I'm trying to be involved with schools in my organization, is like what is community really what does it really mean to engage yeah. partners with your community? And what I don't yeah. see here anywhere is actually an opening up an idea of partnership with the people 
whose children they are controlling. Um, so it's in fact there's a line that I'll that I'll point um, out to let's see if I can find it. Yeah, we so they talk about some of the, th the things they're going to do about uh, feedback and concerns, which is like conducting surveys. They're going to have student and family councils, but we know who. So again, I don't know what those are. Right, those can be totally meaningless. But I was taken by this line. Um, we encourage all members of our uncommon community to share their concerns via the systems and procedures detailed in our staff. And staff. Mm. Oh gosh! So okay. it's sort of like, look, we have a system. Follow our system. Um, and I just thought that sent an interesting message. They didn't say like, we want to hear you. Contact us. They were like, follow the system and procedures in our handbook because it's a place that's ruled by handbooks, as far as I can tell. So yeah. Wow. Yep. Good catch on that, and so, so right on. I don't even know what to, <laughs> ah, kind of unbelievable. Um, so let me tell you a little story. Maybe we'll, I'm in my last mile. Okay, yeah, that's Maybe good. this will begin wrapping us up. So first, let's, you know, for our listeners, just acknowledge, I worked at KIPP for three years in the beginning of my career in education and um i thought of myself almost as mr kip for a while uh kind of really bought in and um then i and so kip and uncommon schools in fact here's a couple stories the founder of uncommon schools came to kip to learn and visit as they were building out their first school or schools and because the founder of kip Dave Levin was not there. They spent the day in my room. <laughs> and you, you started it in up. Fact, <laughs> in fact, that day, gosh, this is taking me back, because the, Dave wasn't there, and we only, Dave and I, team taught with one other person, I actually had the entire group of two classes by myself in a big, like, double room. So literally 60 kids, just me, for most of the day, or at least a good amount of time. While these visitors were there, and they were talking to me, learning about our systems and so on. At the time, I remember being so proud of how much in control I was of that environment. And kind of looked back in horror at the ways that control was gathered and maintained. Mm -hmm. So just kind of putting that in there. But kind of the stream of the story here is, and I'll kind of make it all connect here, is I remember a moment where we were on a panel or something at, I think, North Star, the uncommon school kind of flagship in Newark. And I, at that time, I was leaving KIPP, maybe we had started Fly, I had met Jana, and I had done like a 180 on a lot of things. And I w talked to the same guy, this founder, who was clearly moving, you know, his organization in the no excuses KIPP way, as I had made, basically was like, nope, I'm done with that, I'm moving in another direction. And we kind of laughed about it. I don't know, do you re were you at that panel? Do you remember that? 
I do, no, I don't think I was at that panel. I, I do remember you, because we were roommates at the time, and I do remember the experience of you coming back having had the visitors and teaching the double class. I don't think teaching the double class actually was that unusual for you at times, like because there were, but no. I, rem yeah. I actually remember you talking about that, uh, that experience, but I don't remember the panel, uh, you know, later after that. And I probably was like all proud of myself, you know, uh, yes, you were about it. So, <laughs> um, so in any case, you know, I have this kind of ideological break and over the past 20 years, just kind of defined that break more and more. And I just find it really fascinating that now 20 years, literally 20 years later, these organizations are, if not fully, you know, coming to awareness or certainly like, okay, there's some things we're doing that aren't okay and we got to fix them. So to me, it's such an interesting thing. And I, I guess I'm curious what you think about this. I feel like what's really missing in these disclosures is like a little bit of unpacking of what's really going on here around these uh, kind of paradigms or approaches, which I would say really fits into me into kind of this capitalist, patriarchal um, system that we live in. I always felt, or I grew to feel that so much of what was happening in these schools was about figuring out how to help children who didn't have access to the system, how to get access, but very little about changing the system or acknowledging that the system is, is, needs to be fixed. What do you think about that? Well, I think you're getting at a question which I would love to ask any of these people, which is, in, is your school design and your conception of, of why your school exists that compatible with an anti-racist approach? Because right. You're, right. what we would say is, actually, by design, you've created a racist yeah. So if you say, yeah. oh, we're learning and listening, does that mean that A, you don't think that's true, or B, you're actually creating a new school? Like, is this a movement to say, guess what? What we've been telling you we're doing, uh, we've been wrong. And so we're actually starting, yep. and that's not what they're saying. They're saying we're, no. we're refining. But <clears throat> at its core, can you refine if some of the fundamental things are, yep. you know, Kendi would say racist, I think. And I'd love to hear, their, but they don't go there, right? They don't yep. they double down on kind of like why their school need to exist right now, right? Which would be an interesting yep. thing to say. Like in this moment, in this movement, right? Because that's part of what we were trying to create at the core, I think, and by and all this time. It's like we're actually trying to create schools that need to exist right now, make the world yep. better. So what's their argument for that? Um, and that, so that's my thought there. So I think this might be a good place 
to close with a homework assignment for us and a big teaser for our listeners is you and I worked at two different at two schools together for many years. Both those schools, my wife and I founded, you know, built, like designed. We had people involved, but we definitely drove it. I think we need to spend the next session taking a critical look at our own work, asking ourselves the same questions that we would pose to others and answering them honestly, no matter how much it might hurt or feel bad. Um, Hopefully we'll surface some nuggets of like, okay, that was right on. But I have a feeling we're going to find a bunch of things like, oh boy, shouldn't have done that. Wouldn't do that again. What were we thinking? Um, are you up for that? You know, this is the total classic homework assignment that like, it's a really good assignment and I totally don't want to do it. But um, right. <laughs> no, I think we've been building to that. And I've been thinking about that for a while. Um, just the need to have that conversation with you. Um, it might need to be a, you know, a four hour run that you're on. Um, <laughs> right. No, I'm down and I think we need to dive into it next time and, and focus on that. Cause there are things I've been mulling and you know, the point of these conversations for us, you know, for us within our relationship, I think is to help each other process the things we're reading and thinking about giving, giving an opportunity to do that. And the fact that we have an experience that is so shared, I think we'll make that an interesting conversation. So um, I, I, I'll be ready. I'm not ready right now. I'm glad we're, I'm glad we're about to hit pause, but I will be ready. <laughs> Maybe one way to think about it is one thing we're proud of, one thing we're ashamed of or something like that. Yep, yep. Um, you know, and, and kind of, I don't know, it'll be, I'm looking forward and dreading the conversation. And so, um, yeah, it's Thursday. I don't know. Um, I, I, I'm just valuing the conversation and uh, looking forward to the next one. So have a great day, Reed. Okay, you too. Finish that run well, and uh, I look forward uh, to our next call here. 6.94 right now, so oh, just about there. Perfect. All right. Stretch perfect. Out. All right. Bye. All right, bye. Thank you for listening to the 3 to 10 Project, Episode 3, Letter to Our Community, recorded September 17th, 2020. And thanks as always to Random Chiz for our theme music.